Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Happy New Year and welcome to Season 2 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. You know, for many gardeners, planning the 2021 garden is underway this month. Maybe you're perusing the seed catalogs or making choices for the warm season vegetable and flower garden based on those pictures. And perhaps you're checking out all the dormant plants that are arriving or will soon be arriving at area nurseries and garden centers this winter. One of the most popular bare root plants that brings out the customers are all the rose varieties that are available. Don't know much about roses? Not a problem. We cover rose basics on today's episode, and we get a sneak peek at the future of gardening with Diane Blazek of the National Garden Bureau. Plus, she has results of a survey where gardeners like you told the National Garden Bureau what they want in order to ease their garden chores. It's all on this episode 68 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We're coming up to rose time, rose planting time. Nurseries over the next few months are going to start to get in bare root roses or roses wrapped in plastic. What is the best way to plant a rose? We're talking with a master rosarian, Debbie Arrington, who is also president of the Sacramento Rose Society. And Debbie, people are going to be faced with shelves of roses at local nurseries, none of which will have flowers, just pictures of flowers. What are some criteria one should consider when picking out roses at a nursery? There's lots of different things that you should consider. First, decide what kind of rose you want. What, by kind of rose, I mean what size of rose. Uh, roses come in different sizes. The roses that we usually see are hybrid teas. Those are fairly large bushes. When that rose is mature, it's going to take at least a three by three foot space and be at least three to four feet tall or taller. Other roses, such as Floribundas, those roses are a little smaller than hybrid teas. And they have more of a florific look. The whole bush is covered with flowers. So it looks like one giant bouquet of flowers instead of individual blooms. Another category of roses are miniatures. And those sound like what they are. They're roses that have much smaller flowers. But a miniature rose bush isn't necessarily a teeny tiny bush, although sometimes it can be. But in general, miniature roses, you can plant four miniature roses in the space that you can a hybrid tea. Another class of roses are climbers, and those do what you would expect a climber to do. They grow really, really tall, and they can take a small root base, a small footprint, uh, just a two-by-two-foot space, uh, but then have a rose bush that's 10 to 20 feet tall or taller. And then there's shrub roses, and shrub roses are, they come in all different sizes from only one foot tall to six or eight feet tall, but shrub roses are roses that tend to grow into hedges. Uh, where they have very dense structure, uh, where the nodes, the distance between one leaf joint and another is very, very short. And the, the aspect about shrubs that's appealing to um, homeowners and gardeners is that they make excellent landscape uh, plants that can be cut with hedge clippers. Uh, instead of uh, careful pruning, you can just whack them. Uh, with a hedge clipper and that and make it into whatever shape or size you want. So those those are the basic types of roses that you'll be finding um, at the nursery. Uh, so first consider what kind of rose you want and what you want that rose to do. Do you want that rose to be a centerpiece in your garden? Then choose a hybrid tea. If you're looking for something that's going to be along a fence line uh, where you want several plants, 
then look for shrub roses. If you want something that has lots and lots of flowers, then a floribunda. And if you have a wall or a trellis or an arbor that needs something tall but with flowers um, all over, uh, then choose for a climber. And I would think, too, that if all people have is a, a sunny patio, then uh, miniature roses in containers would be fine. Yes, miniatures work wonderfully in containers. And with people with uh, smaller gardens and or maybe no, no actual soil at all where all they have is a patio, miniatures are perfect for that because they are very happy in a container. One question that usually gets asked while couples are shopping for roses is, where are we going to put this? And I think a lot of people forget that roses like full sun. Well, I, they do. And ideally, you want to them to have at least five to six hours of sun a day. Uh, the, the caveat on that is they prefer their sun in the morning to the afternoon. And in Sacramento, that can be problematic. Uh, if you put it in a spot where that six hours of sun is all coming in the afternoon, the, the rose is going to fry. It gets, it gets too hot. They much would much rather have an east-facing exposure where their sun is coming in the morning. Now, for those listening who aren't in Sacramento, who may be either in a colder climate or back east, there are other things to consider when planting roses. And I think one of those, especially back east, might be Japanese beetles. Yes, yes. And and fortunately, knock on wood, Japanese beetles uh, aren't a problem in the Sacramento area. Japanese beetles uh, do tend to devastate uh, roses. Uh, they, they attack their, their flowers and buds which is what you grow roses for, is for their flowers. So Japanese beetles quite often will live in lawns. And so planting the roses right next to the lawn can be problematic. It's better to give them some sort of buffer zone between them and the lawn. Do Japanese beetles prefer one color of rose over another? You know, that's a good question. There several beetles, like hoplia beetles, tend to go for lighter colored roses, particularly uh, white and yellow roses. And thrips also go for lighter colored flowers. But with the Japanese beetles, that's kind of up in the air. I, I think they, they will eat anything, basically. One thing people may see when shopping for roses, especially if you're shopping at a big box store, are roses that are wrapped tightly in plastic. But they will have a number on them, a grade number. And Debbie, what, what do those grade numbers refer to? The grade numbers refer to the size and the healthiness of the, the bush that you're buying. And it was set up by the American Association of Nurserymen, and they have three grades for rose bushes in bare root. There's grade one, grade one and a half, and grade two. And what that means with grade one, grade one is your best. And those bushes are big and healthy and strong bushes. And those bushes are going to be at least three years old and have strong canes. And by strong canes, those are, those are the branches that the new growth is going to come out on. And on a grade one bush, they must have three or more strong canes, and at least two of them have to be 18 inches long. And the canes have to be well-spaced around the bush where they're not all leaning on one side or the other. But they're, they're ideally, you want the bush to look like uh, a hand that is uh, holding a ball, but without the ball in the middle. Hybrid teas and grandiflores, the canes should have you know at least three strong canes, and at least two of them are 18 inches long. With floribundas, which are a little smaller, they also need to have at least three strong canes, but the canes only need to be 15 inches long. Polyanthus, which is another class of roses, uh, a lot of uh, shrub roses you know, are, are close to polyanthus, 
those have to have four or more canes at least 12 inches long. Uh, climbers and ramblers have to have canes that are at least 24 inches long. And basically what that's telling you is this is a big, strong, healthy bush that's raring to go with a lot of growth potential. Now, grades one and a half and grade two are would be like you would assume, where they don't quite meet all those standards. In hybrid teas, they might be 15 inches long instead of 18 inches long. And in climbers, instead of two feet tall canes, they might only have two canes that are 18 inches long. And grade two is all classes where they have just two canes 12 inches long. Basically, what you're saying with the grade twos is that it might grow, but it's not going to be as good a bush as one that's a grade one. And thus, that's why you might find grade twos at a cheaper price, and uh, cheaper price is no indicator of quality. Yes. It might still be a good bush, but at this moment in time, it's not the size of bush that you want. Exactly. People, when they buy these roses, now a lot of nurseries, uh, the better independent nurseries will usually pot up the roses. So that makes it easy to transplant. However, if you're buying your roses at a big box store, they're going to be wrapped up in plastic. You're not going to be able to see what's in there other than sawdust and some roots. What should people do to ensure that it is planted correctly when they get it home? Well, the first thing to do is take it out of the plastic and, and hydrate it because those bushes were dug, the ones that we're seeing in stores in late December and January, those bushes were dug up out of the ground in October and November. And so they've already been out of their element for a long period of time. And so what you need to do is rehydrate the bush. And so you take all the, the straw and sawdust off of it uh, and you put it in a bucket of water uh, where the roots are totally submerged. And sometimes if the, if the bush seems really dry, you know, to take out a tub uh, or something large enough for you to submerge the entire bush and just put the whole thing in there in water and let it soak overnight. Uh, if it doesn't look like it needs that much extreme, just make sure that you get the, the roots soaked overnight. And that way it will rehydrate the bush and make it a lot uh, healthier, you know, when you're, when you're planting. Now look at those roots. The bush underneath the ground should resemble the bush above the ground. Like we want to have, you know, three strong cranes, canes above, above ground. You want to have three strong roots below ground. And quite often when they're packaged up in plastic like that, the roots get broken or scarred or all twisted around and, and really damaged. And so what you want to do is you want to cut off uh, any broken roots, you know, take, take off those areas that are broken and to make sure that the roots look nice, where they're going to be nice and healthy and be able to support the plant. And so you cut off the damaged areas, hydrate it, and then you get ready to plant it in the ground or in a container. And again, sunny locations are best, although there are a lot of, uh, shall we say, slightly shade tolerant varieties of roses, aren't there? Yes, there are. And in fact, on the list uh, on our, our Sacramento Rose uh, website, which is SactoRose, S-A-C-T-O-R-O-S-E dot org, uh, we do have a list of shade tolerant roses because there are several varieties that can get by and still bloom with as little as four hours of sun a day. SactoRose.org is the website. And besides information, yeah. lots of great pictures of roses there, too, to help you make your decisions when it comes to uh, getting roses. Yes. And a, g a good website to look up for information about rose varieties is the American Rose Society website at uh, rose.org. 
rose.org. You're going to see some cheap roses in the stores that are non-patent roses. The non-patent roses are roses that were released uh, more than 27 years ago. That's the current patent time for roses in, in the U.S. And when a rose is released, a, a named rose is released, uh, the company that releases it has its patent for 27 years. And during that time, whenever that rose is replicated, whenever it is uh, uh, grafted and new roses made, and new roses sold, that variety, that company gets royalty. They, they earn some money off of it. Well, after that time period is up, anybody can uh, propagate that rose and sell it as that named rose and not pay the originator any, any royalty. So those are called non-patent roses, and you see them at huge discounts, uh, particularly at big box stores and supermarkets and other places like that, because anybody can make money off that rose now and sell it at, you know, as their own plant without uh, giving any royalties. And that really is an incentive to uh, nurseries that want to sell roses uh, to sell these older varieties because there's uh, there's no middleman there. They can just do it, go their own propagation, do their own grafting, and sell it themselves. And so it allows you to find some many great older varieties, such as uh, Queen Elizabeth, the original Grandiflora. She, that was uh, introduced in uh, the early 1950s, I think 1953 or so. That rose is widely available. Um, Mr. Lincoln, another wildly popular rose, a uh, former All-American winner, deep uh, red rose, beautiful scent. You can find those um, all over the place with because it's a non-patent rose. And so you can find those roses at a deep discount. And it's not because they're an interior bush necessarily. It's just they no longer have to pay royalties. And so it, it becomes a bargain rose. So if you're looking for a bargain rose at a nursery, check out the non-patented varieties. Several of them are award-winning roses. Yes. Well, we learned a lot about roses today from Master Rosarian Debbie Arrington, who's president of the Sacramento Rose Society. Debbie, thanks for giving us the word about roses. You're welcome. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books or websites mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. Plus, you'll find more information about how to get in touch with us. Maybe you could leave an audio question without making a phone call. You can do that at SpeakPipe. That's SpeakPipe.com. It's easy. Give it a try. And you just might hear your voice on the Garden Basic podcast. If you're listening to us via Apple Podcasts, put your question in the ratings and reviews section. You can always text us the question and pictures or use your voice to leave a question at 916-292-8964. That's 916-292-8964. You can always use the good old email, fred at farmerfred.com. That's fred at farmerfred.com. And when you leave a question, be sure to tell us where you're from. That will help us greatly to accurately answer your garden questions, because as you know, all gardening is local. In the show notes, you'll find links to our social media outlets as well, where you can leave questions or make comments. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And there's a link to the FarmerFred.com website. And thanks for listening. In celebration of the National Garden Bureau's 100th anniversary, they conducted a survey 
of gardeners to find out, you know, how are their kids going to garden? How are their grandchildren going to garden? How are we gardening now? What sort of improvements would we like to see in gardening? We're talking with Diane Blazek. She's the executive director of All-America Selections of the National Garden Bureau. And Diane, uh, we should point out that this survey was taken pre-COVID, wasn't it? Exactly. It was taken in October of 2019. And of course, little did we or anybody else know how COVID might have changed things in the gardening world. I think we've got a pretty good idea, at least here in California. We know that nurseries have been slammed year round. Uh, The shelves are empty and things are just flying out of uh, nurseries uh, because more and more people are gardening, being sheltered in place. Uh, Even Christmas trees are running out here at at Christmas time. And what was unusual, too, was, I mean, we kind of expected the April-May rush on summer plants. But here in California, we found a big demand for winter plants, cool season vegetables, cool season annuals. And the nursery owners I talked to tell me those flew off the shelf just as quickly as the spring crop flew off the shelves. That is exactly what we are hearing, too. So our members are retail garden centers like your nurseries that you're talking about, as well as online seed retailers and everybody. They said they didn't get a break. Nothing slowed down in the summer. Nothing slowed down in the fall. Even now when a lot of people will typically start ordering seeds in January, they have been slammed in October, November, December. Yes. So I think the future of gardening looks actually promising. (laughs) It does. I think it's very promising. I mean, you know, I would love (laughs) for this COVID thing to be over and us to get back to our normal lives. But it looks like, you know, even with the vaccine, how long will it be before things are back to normal? So we are expecting this spring to be another big boom in gardening. I think the task now for all of us in the the gardening business is to make sure that uh, the new gardeners enjoy what they're doing and will continue gardening. I agree a thousand percent with that one. You know, everything we do tries to educate and inform and help people be successful. So that's what we're trying to put out, you know, through through our blog posts, through our newsletters, everything on our website and social media, just trying to really make it less intimidating for all these new gardeners, and hopefully then they'll be successful and will stay lifelong gardeners. And that goes straight to the heart of the survey questions that you asked people back in October of 2019. The first question is, why don't people garden more and, you know, People said, well, we don't have enough space, or others said we don't have enough time. And COVID kind of solved that for some people. I know it's kind of two extremes. I, I think a lot of the uh, young families, young parents that were both working and now suddenly they're both at home and they're having to manage childcare and education, they probably have less time. But the results definitely say that this year more people had time, more people wanted to get outside. So seeing as how 54% of the people said they didn't have enough time, we're, we're, I think we're going to see that number decrease when we do the next survey, which I didn't mention. So we are doing a follow-up survey like right now. The surveys just went out yesterday. So we'll see how things change in you know, a 14, 15-month time span. 
And the other segment of those surveyed, which I guess were people over the age of 35 who said they don't feel they have enough space. And that's where container gardening comes in and what we like to call backyard orchard culture of keeping fruit trees at a very manageable height of six feet or seven feet. Right. Yeah. So fruit trees are are more compact, shall we say. And when I talk about trends that I see among breeding companies, I would say more compact, a higher yield, and disease-free or disease-resistant are the three primary trends that I see among breeding. And it's interesting because our survey, that's what people were saying. It's like, okay, well, I don't have enough space, so we're accommodating that. We're making smaller things. I want plants that are easier to care for. Okay, we're solving that by making them more disease-resistant or pest-resistant, and then um, the more yield. You know, they don't want to plant one pepper plant and get two bell peppers off of it and that's another thing that we are seeing with hybridizing and everything is there are definitely more fruits per plant now than the breeding work that was being done like 10 20 years ago and especially if people follow the rules that come with those plants like planting in full sun a lot of people are trying to grow heat and uh, light loving vegetables in perhaps too much shade as a result you get less yield yeah i kind of laugh at that i mean that was probably one of the big mistakes I made first when I was first gardening and, you know, had our first house. And when we, we didn't even talk about this, we relaunched the Victory Garden um, thing last March because our founder, um, you know, you did mention that it's our 100th anniversary. So our founder, Mr. Hastings, wrote the original Victory Garden manual in the early 1940s. So last March, we relaunched Victory Garden 2.0. And that's one of the things, the primary things we talked about is enough sun, plant it in enough sun and plant it in um, good soil. So those were kind of two of the things we were harping on last March. And we should point out, too, that we had a chat back last March about Victory Garden 2. And that was actually the very first episode of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. And people can go uh, way back in the, in the annals of that and, and enjoy that one. Right, right. And, and get some tips on uh, basically uh, how to plant and uh, following some basic rules can lead to success in, in gardening. And we have found a lot of people had enough success. Of course, there's always beginner's luck. There is. That's a good thing. Um, there's also beginner's failures, but that's how you learn. I mean, it's almost like a scientific experiment. Do something, learn from it, go on, change things and do the next experiment the next year. Right. Now, I know that in your survey, uh, people wanted plants that produce more fruits and yet one way to get around that to get more fruits is also pruning fruit trees at the right time i think a lot of people make the mistake of pruning uh, fruit trees in the dead of winter and they're cutting off the buds for next year's fruit production we've learned uh, over the last few years that it's better to do some summer pruning after harvest and uh, leave the tree to uh, uh, mature uh, through the winter and then produce uh, more fruit the following year. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's it's interesting with uh, when we're looking at Google Analytics and hits on our blogs and everything, pruning is like one of the number one things that people search for online. How do I prune? How do I prune? And it's, you know, it's different for a flowering shrub versus an indeterminate tomato versus a, a fruit tree or something. But that is one of those things that there's a real need for good information. 
One of my favorite books on pruning is called Pruning and Training. It's produced by the American Horticultural Society, and it's an excellent reference book for pruning just about any plant you might own. I recommend it. Oh, that's a good recommendation. In your survey, you also asked which sources of gardening information are used. And uh, as you might expect, uh, older people... uh, prefer either face-to-face information or written information, and uh, younger gardeners are going to the Internet. Absolutely, yeah. We do a lot of advice giving, you know, like to garden retailers, to nurseries and everything. And one of the big things that we're doing this coming year is helping them establish or refine their online presence because you have to have it. And a lot of the nurseries and garden centers found it this past year. You know, if they weren't selling online, they suddenly had to because of the restrictions that were put in place. So not only do they need a website where people can order online, but they also need to be on social media so that uh, the, the younger set, their younger customers can interact and learn from them and, and kind of understand who who this garden center is and that, that they are a really good source for information. And of course, uh, even us oldsters are in the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest habit as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's not like it's just for your younger customers. I mean, those are, there are those of us who are over a certain age who certainly use um, all those social media and online accounts too. Another question on your survey, you asked people, well, what do you want to grow indoors? And uh, the great indoors, great place to have a little garden. And what were their responses? Well, they definitely want to grow herbs, which does not surprise me because a lot of people already are. Um, part of the surprise is that vegetables and fruits weren't further up. I think maybe they weren't thinking too far outside the box. But uh, so what consumers said, they wanted to grow more indoors was herbs and tropical foliage or house plants, which I think they already are. Then it went to flowers, then vegetables and fruit. And we've done a lot of segments on the Garden Basics podcast about growing edibles indoors. And it doesn't take much, a sunny window and basically keeping the plants small like microgreens or, or, or baby greens. And those can succeed very well if they're in the right location. Exactly. And my hope is, you know, if if you really go out and Google futuristic gardens or indoor gardens or something like that, you see some really cool lighting apartments or appliances or something like that. I mean, some are as large as a refrigerator. <laughs> yes. And you really would be able to grow more of your own produce with some of these indoor things. Of course, at this point, they're cost prohibitive and probably size prohibitive. As uh, expected, uh, one of the survey questions related to uh, automation of the garden about uh, what sort of gadgets would you like to see available for the future. And we're starting to see that in the world of commercial agriculture. And so it's just a short hop into the home garden for things like soil moisture sensors. Exactly right. I mean, isn't that the fear that a lot of people have is, oh, I'm not going to water it enough or I'm going to water it too much. So anything that would help people know how much to water, um, how much light to give it. I mean, you were just talking about artificial light. So, you know, could there be a way to program? I'm growing basil. So how much light do I need? I'm growing some miniature peppers in a container. So how much light do I need? And that's In looking at these survey results and reading some of the uh, responses, and then you're right, knowing what the commercial industry is using, especially a lot of these big indoor farms, um, 
I think we're going to see that transition over so it's affordable for the homeowner and, you know, the home gardener so that they can use those same types of tools to make them more successful. And we're also seeing in commercial agriculture as well, soil sensors that take measurements of the nutrients in the soil. So that, too, will probably be coming to home gardening within a decade. I hope so, because I think that's one of the really intimidating things also um, for a newbie garden. Wait a minute, fertilize? How much, how much do I fertilize? What do I know? What kind of fertilizer? So, yeah, any kind of tool that would help in that um, aspect of gardening would be very, very helpful. And the sixth and final question that was in your survey is gardening as an escape. Now, again, the survey was taken in October of 2019. And I guess in the meantime, we found out the answer to that question. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, I would, I would guess that that was probably the number one reason I'm stuck at home. What can I do? Oh, look, you know, I can start seeds. I can go outdoors. I can spend time with my family. I can raise my own food. So, um, or I'm going to get away from 10 zoom calls per day, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, going out and being in the garden was really good for mental health as well as physical health. It certainly is. It was a survey produced by the National Garden Bureau. Diane Blazix with the All America Selections. She's the executive director. And I think the future of gardening is very bright, Diane. I completely agree. I have my sunglasses on right now. <laughs> if people want more information about the National Garden Bureau and the survey, what's a good website to go to? Well, it's very easy. It's three letters N G B, which stands for National Garden Bureau. So NGB.org. And that's where you'll find all the results from our survey, plus a lot of other good gardening tips. Once again, Diane Blazek, Executive Director of the All-America Selections of the National Garden Bureau. Thanks for telling us about the future of gardening. Sure. The Garden Basics Podcast is going to a winter schedule, maybe just like your favorite local nursery. November through January, Garden Basics will come out once a week on Fridays. Then, as the weather warms back up in February, we'll return to our twice-a-week schedule. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate that you've included us in your garden life.